Would you like to retire with enough? My name is Peter Guidry, and I am the host of the Retiring with Enough podcast. In today's podcast, we're actually going to do a little bit of a jog to the side. It's been about eight months since I started the Retiring with Enough blog and the Retiring with Enough podcast, and I felt like it was time to revisit the basic concept of both the blog and the podcast, which is Retiring with Enough. Retiring with Enough speaks to the basic concept of having enough money, having worked enough, and having enough to do in retirement. If you want to revisit those concepts, you can review the blog and podcast titled Foundations of Retirement, The Three-Legged Stool. But what exactly does this mean? Can someone have more than enough money and yet continue to work? Does someone have to automatically quit working when reaching a certain date on the calendar? Is retirement prohibited if someone doesn't have a firm handle on what will occupy each day in retirement? Throughout the blogs and podcasts, I've made a conscious effort to not make the blogs and podcasts about me. But today I'm going to become my own guinea pig because I think that my story will be relevant to the discussion of all phases of enough, having enough money. I've always had an interest in finance, and I began my financial journey when I was actually in my 20s. This is also the period that I attended and graduated dental school. I attended dental school as a full-time student while my wife taught at a small local parochial elementary school. As an elementary school teacher, her income would be considered what I would call less than spectacular. There were many months that our checking account ended in single digits. This was subsistence living with no provision for future retirement planning. My wife's school did not provide any type of retirement plan. So, Our strategy while I was in dental school was to dig in and survive and hope for abundance after I graduated from dental school. Was this a sound philosophy? Obviously not. It may not have been the soundest philosophy, but it was an economic necessity at the time. Shortly after I graduated from dental school, I decided that I would open my own dental practice. This decision was followed shortly by an offer to associate with an established dental practice in the same city. I ultimately accepted the offer of an associateship and sold the building that I had purchased about five months ago and was going to renovate for use as a dental office. Even though I had only purchased the office five months ago, I was able to sell it and generate a small profit. My wife and I's early thought process was that with an associateship, and the fact that I was a newly graduated, full-fledged DDS, doctor of dental surgery, that someone would quickly show up with a wheelbarrow full of money. This was not the case. Being a full-time associate with limited practice experience meant that my compensation level was actually pretty minimal. It took several years for both my experience level and deficiency in treating patients to create a comfortable profit margin. After two years as an associate in that existing dental practice, I decided that now was an appropriate time for me to strike out and establish my own independent practice. So, at age 27, 
I established my own dental practice. There was also no wheelbarrow full of money at the doorstep of my office the first day I opened my practice. Bummer. My wife decided that she would evaluate my practice success by the amount of soiled laundry the office generated. She equated an increase in soiled laundry with an increase in patient treatment and more practice income. When the level of soiled laundry increased to her mental profit point, she became comfortable that the practice was both growing and profitable. So the actual point about you hearing about my dirty laundry is that contrary to what most people think, receiving a professional degree does not also confer immediate success. These early years, both as an associate and as a young independent practice owner, were actually pretty lean financially. But even during these lean times, my wife and I set aside a certain portion of our income to save for our future retirement needs. We also took advantage of a brand new savings vehicle called an individual retirement account, an IRA, to fund tax-deferred retirement accounts while decreasing current taxable income. In 1985, at approximately age 34, I started a company-based retirement plan for myself and for my employees. This allowed me to shelter greater amounts of money in a tax-deferred account. As my income increased, my wife and I were no longer able to save in our traditional IRA accounts. At this point, we opened up non-deductible IRA accounts, which allowed income to grow tax-deferred using after-tax dollars. Contributions in non-deductible IRAs are made with after-tax dollars. I continue to contribute tax-deferred dollars to my official retirement plan, and after the establishment of a Roth IRA account, my wife and I began doing Roth conversions from both the deductible and non-deductible IRA accounts. There are two main takeaways from this story. My wife and I learned at an early age to live very conservatively and to live within our means. I've actually been pretty blessed in that my wife and I were both on the same page financially. We both grew up in households that were very conservative and had a savings mentality. This can be a real point of contention in relationships where one person has a savings mentality and one person has a spending mentality. But thankfully for us, that wasn't really a problem. As our income grew, we maintained the same philosophy. This allowed us to save and invest more on a regular basis, both through my business and personally. Even minimal research will reveal that this particular strategy is not exclusive to my wife and I, but it is a common theme among people who achieve financial independence. And this would normally be the point where someone would say, oh yeah, you were a rich dentist. It was easy for you. But I think it's important to understand that my savings program started when I was establishing my own practice, securing a loan for that practice, securing a loan to buy a house, and starting our family. There actually was not a lot of free cash floating around. But it's not about the amount of money that you're making, 
but more about your ability to carve out small amounts each month to save for retirement. The second takeaway is that we started early and we were using every tax advantage strategy available to save for retirement. This means that your dollars have a much longer period to grow and compound. If you're interested in learning more about this, I have a podcast titled Compounding Magic, Harnessing the Eighth Wonder in Your Finances. My wife and I made the early decision that we were going to aggressively attack our debt and that we were going to save small amounts each month because they had such a long time to grow. And as our income increased, we were able to invest larger amounts. Using the strategies outlined above, my wife and I became financially independent in our early 50s. I was on fire before fire, which means financial independence, retire early, was a thing. So, I could say in my early 50s, I had reached the point where I had enough money. My only exception to fire was that I continued to work. So this begs the question, was this because I wanted more than enough? And it's an interesting question because even though I knew that I was financially independent, I continued to work. Why did I continue to work? Because it made me happy. Work became less about making money and more about doing what made me happy. My wife and I had enough money at this point to sustain our lifestyle indefinitely, but I enjoyed the interaction with staff and patients, and I didn't want to stop working or lose the skills that I had gained over a lifetime of practicing dentistry. So it wasn't really about the money. It was more about what made me happy. The second concept of enough is having worked enough or have I had enough of work. At this point in my early 50s, I continued working full-time. Even though I gradually quit working on Fridays, I still practiced 40-plus hours per week. In my early 60s, I accepted an associate who eventually asked me to purchase my practice. Even though I was only 62 at the time, it seemed like the proper time to transfer the practice to a younger practitioner, and that's exactly what I did. So now, at age 62, I'm both financially independent and released from the burden of having a full-time practice to manage. It would have been pretty easy for me to quit working and fully retire at this point. But had I had enough of work? The short answer was no. Not having a physical practice or a staff afforded me the opportunity to begin working in other practices on a part-time basis as an independent dental contractor. It was difficult to treat patients in an unfamiliar environment with unfamiliar staff and equipment. This new approach to dental practice definitely took me out of my comfort zone, but it was actually pretty interesting. Dental contracting actually stretched me in unexpected ways. I became more flexible and open to new work environments and staff personalities. Over the last nine and a half years, I've worked in 16 different dental practices, and along the way I've developed new relationships and gained new professional perspectives. I now work in dental offices where staff, patients, and facilities are provided. 
I'm able to provide the quality care that 45 years of practice experience provide while not having to manage a full-time practice. But more importantly, I've actually gained a new joy in practicing dentistry by providing a needed service to both patients and dental practices that are in need of temporary assistance. At age 71, I still continue to practice on a limited basis. So I guess I could say that I haven't had enough of work yet. And that's okay because I'm helping both patients and other dental providers. Currently, I provide care in a dental practice when the practice owner is out of the office on dental mission trips. He is very involved in providing dental care to the underserved in southern Mexico. So through my ability to manage his practice while he's away, he and I are both able to do something that we like to do. He is able to continue doing his mission trips in southern Mexico while I can continue to practice on a limited basis. And I'll continue to do that as long as both of us are happy with our current work arrangement. And this brings us to the third principle in the enough equation, which is having enough to do in retirement. And I can truly say that over the last nine years, there have only been a handful of days that I've felt at loss for something to do. On these occasions, normally I'll just pick up a current book and enjoy the moment. I still love to hunt and fish, and I still engage in these pastimes every time I have a chance. Hunting and fishing afford me the opportunity to do something that I'm still passionate about and have been doing for over 50 years with long-term friends. I've always recognized the benefit of physical activity, and I still do physical workouts four to five times a week. I love to read. My wife and I love to dance, and we spend time with our children and grandchildren. Traveling is also a big part of our current calendar and future planning. In the past year, I combined my love of finance with the freedom of retirement by studying and passing the coursework necessary to become a chartered retirement planning counselor. I've taken my CRPC designation and my love of finance and used both of those to host a website and a podcast about having enough. So I feel like I definitely have enough to do in retirement. And I'll be the first to admit that creating the blog and podcast has definitely been a challenging experience. But I look at the retiring with enough blog and podcast as part of my purpose in retirement Having to learn the new skills required to master both the website and the podcast technology have again stretched my brain. I've learned new skills and I'm providing educational aids in helping with retirement planning. So, do I have too much to do in retirement? Actually, I, I kind of feel like I'm exactly where I need to be at present and I'm functioning exactly at the pace I want to function. But the great thing about retirement is there's no pressure to do or not do anything. If I start finding that my calendar is busy, then I'll just pump the brakes and slow down. If I feel like I'm not busy enough, then I'll hit the accelerator and I'll speed up. Doing something that I'm passionate about makes me happy, and it's something that I can do at a leisurely pace. But does more than enough trump enough? I think for me, in the final analysis, it's less about having more than enough or having enough, and it's much more about what creates sustained happiness and satisfaction. Look, unless you're the richest person in the world, someone's always going to have more money than you. And using money primarily as a measuring tool is really a fool's errand. 
Having enough money creates happiness in that it provides for things that you need and things that you want. But having more money in and of itself does not create more happiness. Happiness is a state of mind and it doesn't have a dollar sign attached. The same basic principle applies to working enough and having enough to do in retirement. It's not about the length of your career, but more about whether working makes you happy or unhappy. Each person has to decide what is enough to do in retirement. Someone may look at what I do in retirement and say, that's exactly where I want to be in retirement. Someone else may look at what I'm doing and feel overwhelmed, while a third person may feel unfulfilled or bored. But at least for me, I'm finding that I now have the ability to set my own pace and concentrate on the things that I find personally fulfilling. Creating joy and happiness has become the focus of my present and future planning. For me, that's enough. And here are a few final thoughts. No one can tell anyone what will bring present and future happiness. For some people, happiness comes with having enough. Other people may feel they need more than enough to be happy, but neither approach is incorrect. If you're happy with your present status and enjoy what you're doing, if it creates happiness, then why stop? I've presented my story as an example. Obviously, everyone's personal story is unique, and happiness, in fact, is personal. A friend told me once, life is short, eat dessert first. Don't delay experiencing the things that are truly important, and don't forego fun things. Eat dessert first. Instead of stressing about having enough or more than enough, focus on what makes you happy. And so hopefully this podcast will help you with your own personal pursuit of happiness. In my next podcast, we'll actually discuss if the cost of happiness and the price of happiness are the same thing. So I'm hoping that you take the opportunity to listen in next time for that podcast. And as always, thanks for listening today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave a review. And if you want to partake in an online conversation, be sure to search for the Retiring with Enough group on Facebook. Thanks. The information and opinions contained on this podcast are for general education and are considered general communications. Information on the podcast was obtained from various sources and Retiring with Enough does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information presented. Retiring with Enough strongly recommends that you perform your own independent research and or speak with a qualified investment professional, legal advisor, or tax professional before making any financial decisions. The information and opinions expressed should not be construed as financial planning and does not consider the economic status or risk profile of any specific person, nor does it constitute an offer to buy or sell securities.